Hello, this is Dr. Carol. Carol Francis from Make Life Happen, and yes, today is all about making life happen. I'm particularly conscious of this as I'm aware that more soldiers have died in Afghanistan today on behalf of trying to liberate whatever your political point of view is, trying to make a situation better perhaps for the people that are there, whether we should be there or not, another question, but more of our soldiers have passed on, and it is uh, it's an unhappy time, and we're also facing September 11th and hearing the stories on the radio and the television uh, the people who have survived moved us into realizing, yes, we are a nation of survivors. We have to survive. We have to press forward. But, boy, at what cost did we lose some amazing people, thousands and thousands of people? So today, yes, we're going to talk about things that are also unhappy, but more along the lines of are we in control, perhaps, by the foods that we eat to be able to modify, affect, or maybe improve whether or not we feel depressed, angry, suicidal, or if we have thoughts that are just going to demise us, like obsessive-compulsive sorts of thinking, or bipolar disorder. So we're going to go talking into some of those topics and see what you think, quoting some people who have done some research in it. Bottom line, the recognition of your body is yours, and what you put in it affects you. What you do with your body affects you. But now, what's the formula? What's the formula for you may not be the same formula for someone else. I have someone today who is eager to really full, fully embrace this topic, and we're going to find out more what her point of view is. And, Wendy, I'm trying to get you online here. Can you hear me? I Hello, can. Wendy. Oh, Hello. wonderful. Welcome to the show. Um, tell, tell me, uh, it's the first time we've ever talked. Tell me why you're interested in this topic. What's the fascination for you? Um, you know, three years ago, I started really studying um, raw food, eating more raw food. And um, long story short, in the last few months, I've been juicing a lot. And Ooh. I've done like really small juice fasts, like maybe three days at the most here and there. But for the most part, consistently, I've been drinking about two quarts of mostly green juice. But this, this summer, I've been drinking a lot of watermelon juice as well. And I oh, have to say, I was really, really shocked because I never, I'm not sure if it's just because I'm the kind of person who lives in my head and doesn't listen to my body, but um, hmm. I can see now, like when I drink a lot of juice, have more juice than cooked food or, or any kind of food, um, my mind is so clear and hmm. I can absolutely see how um, that kind of emotional roller coaster was something I was on because of the food that I was eating and how really just plying your body with nutrients just cha- changes everything. And um, that's, that's why I was, I was drawn to the topic of your show. But here's, here's the question that I, I have for you. I'm wondering if you can address. Um, and wonderful input, Wendy, wonderful input. Yes, what's your question? Well, um, the thing that, I, that I'm finding now is that I feel like the more juice that I drink or more consistently that I drink it, um, the more 
cravings for uh, all the things that I used to crave um, are kind of being pushed out, like just slowly pushed out. Mm-hmm. And what mm-hmm. I can I can clearly see now is that when I do go for the foods like pizza, um, potato chips, bread, that kind of stuff, um, French fries, it's not because of hunger and it's not because of craving. It's it's completely because of habit. And it's it's this weird thing that I feel like I'm going through right now because my body doesn't I can I can clearly know my body doesn't want that food, but yet you know as an example I was making about ten quarts of juice yesterday and the whole time I was making this juice being surrounded by this awesome organic fresh food I was thinking about ordering a pizza, and I know it's it's completely psychological. Um, any any that, thoughts on how to break away from that psychological, habitual um, thing when it comes to food? It is it, it, perfect perfect synergism there uh, in terms of the content of what you're saying. And I, the, I was going to open up a, a presentation today with exactly talking about these sorts of things, but in a way that's very different than what you're mentioning, Wendy. If you want to stay online while I'm answering this, you're more than welcome to, but otherwise you can listen as well. Um, there was a, I'm going to segue off and then I'm going to come right back at you. You'll see the connection in a moment. Uh, Dr. Greenblatt, James M. Greenblatt, did um, a collective research of analysis of, of data, information about people who had suicidal uh, tendencies or had committed suicide. They found that there was a nutritional risk factor associated with suicidal processing. Suicidal depression, everything looks bleak, hopeless, correct? And that's not what you're talking about, Wendy, at all. But what they found in the context of this is that those individuals that suffered from anorexia nervosa seriously had an inclination towards suicidal thoughts that seemed to be associated to what? Malnutrition. And they call it malorexia because the individual that practices anorexia as a form of not eating anything and even the pervasive fear of having any sort of fats whatsoever. Now, I'm getting closer to your point. You'll see it in a moment. They find that the brain needs fat. The brain has a function on cholesterol and fat. Let me read a little bit about this. How does fat avoidance affect mental health? The doctor says the brain is a cholesterol-rich organ with fat contributing to 60% of its dry weight. And as a fat-rich organ, optimal brain function relies on adequate amounts of cholesterol and essential omega-3 fatty acids. This includes what is called DHA and EPA, and I am abbreviating that. Those items, DHA and EPA, are available to you in any nutrition market, whether it's Whole Foods, Lindbergh, etc. Now, what they have found out, the omega-3 fatty acids and they were getting closer and closer to your pizza craving here, is associated with depression and anxiety and suicidal thought. Why? Because the brain is starved for having the essential capacity to process and doesn't have the fluidity. It doesn't have the oil to be able to make the car drive well. So that if you're doing uh, juicing, and I do juicing too, and you're eating raw, Unless you're eating a ton of raw uh, nuts that are high in omega-3, and I mean a ton, your brain is probably not getting the saturation of the omega-3 fatty acids or the type of cholesterol breakdown that it needs in order to be able to respond without craving. I'm a big believer that I'm going to say a number here. It may be too big. 80% of the time when we crave something, 
it's our body desperately trying to send a signal to us that we need something because our body is so wise. Now, we can mentally convert that craving signal into some sort of obscure activity that really has nothing to do with the fundamental craving. For example, when you're thirsty, you crave sugar because there's a connection between sugar in our body and hydration in our body. But it isn't sugar that it wants, it's hydration that it wants. So it's the same thing possibly when you are reaching out and having these intense drawings to foods that are high fat and also you have a high carbohydrate component in that that, that uh, craving for the breads. So look at the fries, fat, the cheese, fat. Interesting component if you're having a lot of tomato paste in there. There's a whole lot of other nutrients in that, but there's also a lot of fat in the tomato paste using um, pizzas. And then you have the fat and the butter that's just wonderfully glitching on top of that. I'm making you want to eat this, aren't I, Wendy? <laughs> there, and there are just wonderful amounts of fat that's really a quick, quick drench for the brain. Is it omega-3? No, it's not your most clean and wonderful forms of fat, but nonetheless it is fat. So what I would recommend is that somehow you figure out a way to get the ideal forms of fat in your body. Now, I taught someone... Fred Hahn, who is on my archived radio list there, and he also contributed a comment to a previous show on depression, depression number two. He said the way he seems to hold himself as steady as can be is that he gives his body a healthy dose of fat in the morning so that his body can have that to process throughout the day. So I'm going to quote this wonderful doctor again, James Greenblatt, and at the very end of this article he says, Depression is a complex illness with many physical and psychological factors contributing to symptoms and patterns. But what we have found is that in the experience of what he's saying, essential fatty acid supplements is critical for our brains. We have to have it. It lowers the stress. It helps us have mental clarity. It creates the very fluid or the, what's called the cerebral architecture is dependent upon it. We absolutely need to have the fat. So there you go. When you take it away, get back to me and let me know if once you put more EHEPA or DHA or forms of omega-3, if your cravings begin to decrease. I will, what do you think? Thank you for saying <laughs> Oh, are you there? Yes, uh-huh, yes. Oh, sorry. I just want to say really quickly, thank you for saying that because that makes complete sense to me because probably all of my life, and I'm guessing I'm not the only person, who, who's done this is that the majority of my fat intake has, has I, I've never you know been a big fish eater, um, not a whole lot of nuts. It's all come from really you know bad sources. So it makes sense that psychologically, when my body is craving fat, the, the image that comes up is the thing that I'm most familiar with. So thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. Well, let us know because this is, this is all about trying to find the right chemistry. I've written a book that's called, If You Can't Stop Eating, Maybe You're Hungry, Reset Your Cravings. And the whole philosophy yeah. behind that book is our cravings are communicating to us. We just have to figure out um, how to work with them in conjunction. It's the only way our body, seven, 27 trillion cells, can talk to us about what we need to eat. Well, good day, and thank you. Thank you're you. Awesome. Thank you. Have a great show. You too. Oh, thanks. Well, you contributed to it, and Wendy, I thank you so much for that. And um, those of you that continue to have an opportunity to listen and comment, go ahead and call at 626-414-3510. I'm not able to actually get 
to my Facebook to see if there are other questions right now because I'm in the midst of trying to turn to another article that's written by Stuart Kaplan. Did you as a young child ever drink Kool-Aid? You know, that wonderful combination of sugar and sugar and sugar and food coloring. Well, interesting because Stuart Kaplan decided that he was going to explore this. Let me read what he says. The drinking the Kool-Aid is a metaphor used in the United States that needs to become an unquestioning believer in some ideology or to accept an argument or philosophy wholeheartedly or blindly without critical examination. Did you hear that? Now drinking Kool-Aid as a child, did we critically examine what it was we were putting in our body? Well, he continues to go, the phrase can sometimes have a negative connotation or can even be used ironically. The basis of the term, drinking the Kool-Aid, is a reference to November 1978 in Jonestown Massacre where members of the People's Simple were said to have committed suicide by drinking Kool-Aid, like drinking lace with cyanide. Now, he goes on to put on this dramatic correlation between drinking Kool-Aid, Jamestown, a horrible, horrible, I mean, Jonestown, a horrible, horrible massacre in 1978. I was around, I remember. He says, in the United States, official acceptance of the legitimacy of a diagnosis follows one road, and the approval of a psychiatric medication as safe and effective follows as a separate road. And the roads are not parallel. And that really crosses. Child bipolar disorder provides a rare exception to this. The FDA provided unwarranted support for a controversial child psychiatric diagnosis, bipolar disorders in children, by requesting a just-published study of it with lithium. And he goes on in this to talk about, not about the food, but about the way we need to deal with anti-manic agents for children that are young. Oh, oh, so terribly young. And as it continues to go down this particular avenue, it makes me realize that we have succumbed to the impact of thinking about what we're going to do with our children in terms of medication. Wait a minute. How about if we think about what we do with our children in terms of the chemistry of the foods that we offer? The fact that he thinks that there's connection in terms of the metaphor of drinking the Kool-Aid makes me want to go, do we think about the literalness of drinking the Kool-Aid in terms of actually aggravating disorders for our children? So we can go to attention deficit disorder, for example. There has been a wide amount of research that says there's some children that cannot metabolize sugars and it goes to their brain in certain ways. On the other hand, there are all sorts of other activities that can take place inside of an ADD child or ADHD child that can also be soothed by certain chemicals you would think otherwise wouldn't be so good. For example, you're ready, caffeine. Caffeine for a child with ADHD is not necessarily recommended, but what's an interesting component is that it seems to wake up portions of the brain that are going to sleep and that's the reason they resort to the ADHD activity is to wake their brain up. And somehow the caffeine does it just enough so that they don't have to go through all those antics to get their brain to wake up. Is it a connection? Is it a serious one? Well, it's certainly one worth considering as we recognize maybe childhood bipolar, ADHD has an awful lot to do with us forgetting how to feed ourselves the raw foods that Wendy was talking about, eating fresh cut clean, raw foods, but not forgetting all the other factors like the omega-3s, the oils, the fats that lubricate, not forgetting the other factors 
We need our vitamin Bs, which come through our grains. Not forgetting protein. I know those of you that are vegan, you're good at getting protein through a combination of vegetables, legumes, or your soy. But for the majority of individuals that are contingent contingent upon eating that protein, the amino acids, do not forget those white meats. Now, let's go down to another aspect of eating obesity, diabetes, serious mental illness. Are they somehow related? Diabetes is a function in your system where you really cannot metabolize the sugars in a way that are going to make you feel better or give you energy. And instead, your body doesn't know how to deal with it and makes you sicker and sicker and sicker. The idea that we can actually have impact upon diabetes by the way we eat is, you know, that's kind of a given in our society. We finally admit that. Diabetes type 2 being very different than diabetes type 1. Diabetes type 2 is associated to um, overweight, uh, cardiovascular difficulties, uh, so many complications that are associated with diabetes, and yet the majority of us, if we have an inclination towards diabetes, can control it by what we eat, when we eat, how we combine our foods, by exercise, by sleeping. Well, there's my mantra again. I'm going to read a little bit of this article by um, Dr. Emily Dina. She's a psychiatrist in Massachusetts, and she goes into trying to understand the connection between diabetes and mental health and what is going on in the brain. Here she says, the good news is that abnormally high blood levels can rather easily be lowered by B vitamin supplementation. Homocysteine in the blood can be lowered by a vitamin D supplementation. What do we eat that has vitamin D? Grains. Brown rice, awesome. Almost any B vitamin will do the trick. B6, B12, folate, and even betaine. That's rather exciting, one would think. Plausible biological mechanisms for big, big problems. Cheap and simple fix. But the bad news is that lowering homocysteine with vitamin D doesn't seem to make one word of difference in the cardiovascular component of these diseases, or at least it didn't. Um, in the particular research that she was reading. I'm going to go down a little bit farther where she talks about we can actually supplement our ability to manage our blood sugar and depression. And once again, her supplement is high, high omega fatty, six fatty acid levels in patients with major depression. There's a correlation. Nutrition research, she says, is extremely difficult for so many reasons. The main one being that everything is connected and it is nearly impossible to change single variables without changing something else. But can we tell that nutrition and fatty acids help regulate energy and regulate and it help regulate our bodies and our metabolism and our energy? Yes, absolutely we can. Does physical illness have an impact on our mental? Yes. There absolutely does seem to be a byproduct of what we eat associated to how we feel. However, is the research complete in the scientific world? No. Is the research complete in your body? Paying attention to what it is you're eating and how you feel, not just in the immediate sense, but yes, in the immediate sense, and also what you feel in the longevity of it. I promise you, if you start doing the juicing that Wendy was talking about, because I do that every day myself as well, you will notice within a matter of minutes as if your body, especially your brain, has been washed, cleaned, cleared, and live and freshened up as if all of a sudden the colors around you are brighter and you're thinking and articulating more specifically. Now, it may not last for a long time, 
It may only be a momentary wash inside your body, but it will be something that you'll notice quite quickly, especially as you continue to advance yourself in that process of eating uh, wholesomely, you'll see a very, very big difference. Well, there's also some connection between wheat, they say, possibly in schizophrenia. I'm going to read a little bit of an article associated to that, also by Emily Deans in the Evolutionary Psychiatry. She talks about wheat and serious illness in this particular article. It's well worth looking out. And I'm going to give it a URL right now, psychologytoday.com. And um, in the blog section under evolutionary psychiatry and look for weak and serious mental health illnesses. Not long ago, she says, I wrote an article on the possible link between weak and schizophrenia. And possibly, she continues, between bipolar disorders. Continue to read it, however. Is a Western-style diet actually part of what causes the chronic stress or the genetic vulnerability the nutritional deficiencies the food toxicity, does gluten contribute to that? Is there a possibility of that, as she mentions in her article? Now, I'm, I am scoping through the issues. You need to read this even more so. And as I scope through the issues, she says, do we even think there's a possible link between a leaky gut and maybe casein or milk of protein that has something to do with autism in our children? The continuation of these sorts of thoughts Give us pause in my particular mind. So let me read the last paragraph of her article. She says, so all we have is mystery. Why the strange immune reactions to wheat? Best I can consolidate from all this information, it may be that folks with bipolar disorder have gut issues, and gut issues are inflammatory issues, and a higher IgG response to glidium occurs, and inflammation causes the body to release cytokines and general badness, and those cytokines may predispose the genetically vulnerable to psychosis. Also, there may be a particularly bad inflammation associated with the exosomes in wheat being neuroactive. And what is it just about wheat? Or is it a part of wheat or the way we process the wheat? There's a paper linking recent onset psychosis and schizophrenia to the IgG and the IgA antibodies to the dairy protein casein and in this study, the severity of psychosis was linked to the level of antibodies in response to the casein. Actually, the alpha and kappa subunits were less so than, more so than the beta, which is interesting. So the first onset psychosis had a robust immune response to the beta summit. Now, I'm so sorry, I don't eat, I'm not reading this in terms of all the technological words clearly, and I don't seem to have the, the, um, the knowing of what exactly the phonetics are and all of that. So I apologize for butchering those words. That's not what I wanted to do. What I do want you to see in all of this is that the research that begins to put a correlation between schizophrenia, autism, depression, and leaky gut, inflammation in the gut, and the foods that are somehow not processed by our gut. It is something worthy of consideration. And does that mean that all of us are allergic or sensitive to wheat or gluten? No. Does it mean that milk is going to cause inflammatory issues in all of us? No. But if you particularly think that there's a proclivity inside of you or your genetics, that it might, isn't it worth your mental well-being to check it out, to change things, to become the sculpture of your particular life and your particular body-mind connection so that you can figure out, wow, 
I don't have to suffer this mood. I don't have to suffer these mental disorders. I don't have to suffer this. I can live to my body's potential. And that is the message of today beyond anything else, is living to your body's potential and coming to terms with what are the signs that you're not activating yourself as dynamically as you would like to. Well, I am going to leave this program for you to examine these particular articles more seriously. And that way you can get through the terminology without having to listen to me butcher the, the way they should be said. Here is, again, the connection to these particular articles that you want to peruse. Psychologytoday.com and look under Evolutionary Psychiatry and you can look for the various doctors' names that would be put there. I will go ahead and put this in the blog so that you can look those names up more directly and we'll leave it there. I just want to, in closing in this last moment, to allow all of us to have a tender-hearted recognition that we as a nation are going to be going into a realization that we as a nation can be harmed and hurt and be vulnerable to the antagonism and anger that exists in the world. We are not beyond being touched in that regard. With all of the security alerts that are now coming off over the, the news, with all the different things that might potentially happen with car bombings, as they're predicting in Washington and D.C. and New York, we have no idea what our security or safety is going to be. One thing that is very clear is that human beings have the capacity to bounce back. You have the capacity to bounce back from all sorts of complications by just taking care of the foods that you eat and the way you prepare yourself for the day. If you've suffered some sort of trauma, if you've been a soldier, we thank you. And if you've suffered a trauma from that, I also just ask that you reach out for the help of those people who would like to say thanks and how can I make it so your life is going to be a little bit better. For those people who are relatives or friends, for those individuals that have died because of what went on in 9-11 or associated to various things that happened subsequently, I thank you for enduring. I'm sorry you have to do that. That would not be what you or anyone else would want to put in your path. I hope that you do well. I hope you progress. I hope your resiliency comes to you so you'll be able to fill those moments of sadness and depression and realize that your life counts, it's meaningful, you're here for a purpose, and we appreciate you and sorry for your suffering. So in light of all that, as we go into the September 11th weekend, I wish you all well and safety, health, happiness, and that clear recognition that you are in control of making your life happen. Take the best of care. 